0: Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, Happy New Year. How were your holidays? Um, it
1: was, they were very good, thank you. Uh, my father-in-law in town, we had some family time, played some board games. That's what you want to do with holidays, right? Um, yeah. But it got a little boring. Um because there's not much going on and especially on the baseball side as you know but
0: mm-hmm.
1: we'll get to that in a moment um but happy to new year New Year to you too and everybody
0: listening yeah definitely my my holidays were a bit eventful i flew home to my parents uh they, they moved up a little bit north from where we grew up so i flew home checked out their new house stayed there for a week ended up spending most of one of those days in the er i Sliced my hand cooking some <laughs> cooking our dinner and ah. <laughs> yeah not fun had to get some stitches but everything's fine just just kind of a a hectic day there but otherwise oh is you your know,
1: is your pitching career totally out now
0: it was thankfully my left hand um, I'm not I haven't ah. tried to swing a bat since so so who knows how much power I have maybe if I've lost a little bit there but uh, but yeah thankfully the right arm is still good to go it's still nice and warm if if the Pirates want to give me a call I know they might need some help. Um, and any of those types of teams i am available i'm just going to put that out there to any uh, prospective gm scouts anyone like that uh, listening to the podcast right now but but you've got some injury risk now oh yes certainly certainly Uh, my shoulders my right throwing shoulder is screwed up anyway so uh, Uh. they're going to want an extensive mri before they sign me (laughs) Uh, all right jokes aside we are ready to get into another episode of kind of our trade market dominoes series that we started last time before the holidays. Uh, so we have a whole bunch of user submitted trade proposals lined up, we're going to talk about a bunch of the teams that we didn't fully get to in that first episode. Uh, but first, we have a quick site update from john, if you want to go ahead and take the right. Yeah,
1: so so <clears throat> most of you who have uh, been visiting the site will will have, might have noticed that some of the prospect values have changed a little bit. And that's because we're dependent on public sources. So when they update, we update. So when Baseball America does a new top 10 list, uh, we look at the, the, their valuation estimates or their ratings, and then we plug them into our model as sort of translating them to valuation estimates. And it's a weighted model, um, and so, but, the, but they do carry a lot of weight. So you might see some changes based on that. Um, similarly, with fan graphs as they've been rolling out their, uh, their updated lists, You'll see some additions, you'll see a few changes here and there. So I just wanted to men- mention that. And sometimes they add some players or sort of at the bottom of their list, like, oh, we didn't have him on there before. So you might see those updates, too. You know, they're slow and steady. Um, and thankfully, we already kind of had some insight and they didn't change that much because there had been some previous updates during the season. So um, no dramatic changes. Um so for the most part, they're fine. I did want to mention one other thing, which is the value for Joe Waddell has gone up a little bit based on something that uh, Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs had said the other day, that he would still rate him a 60. And I thought, oh, that was really interesting, despite his struggles at the major league level. Um, we factored in those struggles, balancing it with some of the prospect uh, capital that he did have. So he went up a little bit, I think from like 14 or 15 to about 19. So I know he's a popular trade candidate, just so you know. But we'll still continue to to make those prospect updates as we get that new information.
0: Mm-hmm. In a way, on the prospect end of it, the lockout is a bit of a silver lining to it, where in a normal off offseason, and it happens to us a lot at the trade deadline too, we, we see a deal come through and it looks a little lopsided. And then right after the deal, Baseball America, J.J. Cooper, whoever goes oh well we had actually been moving this guy up and and that list with the updated mid-season prospect list or the updated off-season prospect list that was going to drop next week and he had moved up to here and so that makes some sense and then once we go back and kind of adjust our numbers to reflect that oh look the deal's even uh but with the lockout right now we're getting a lot of these prospect lists coming out from and and updates from these publications but the deals aren't happening so hopefully we can get a good chunk of these in before i mean Obviously, I would love it if the lockout ended tomorrow, but it it seems like it's going to be another month at least. So, I mean, hopefully we get as many of these prospect updates as we can in, and so we have the most accurate values possible, um, reflecting kind of the prospect landscape for once the trades start coming back.
1: Yeah, exactly. It can be really hard running a site like this when you don't have all the inf- updated information and then transactions happen where, you know, the teams have theirs and sometimes they vary a little bit from ours, but they're more, more or less in, you know, in the same ballpark typically. But if we don't have that updated information and they do, then something might be a little bit off. So your point is well taken. Like, no, this gives us a chance to to make sure everything is updated. I did want to mention another, one other point as well. We've had some sort of interesting feedback in some of the comments about sometimes people think our, 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 elite prospects are valued too high, like Julio Rodriguez in the 60s, for example, Uh, like there was a trade proposed with uh, him going to Cincinnati and, and the Mariners getting back Luis Castillo and it was a one for one. And so one commenter suggested, ah, that, no, that's too high for him. Like, you know, but we went into a whole long discussion and I made the point that based on a model that's proven pretty well, successful over time, correlated well the market over time. I really dug into the numbers, looked back at a like this 2017 prospect list for top 100 list from FanGraphs, showed how many of those prospects actually made it to the, Show, became regulars and even became stars and it validated the fact that our numbers are i think still in line i mean the the from that 2017 list it was interesting to go back and, and look at how many of them fully 60 percent of the top 100 made it to the to the uh to mlb and became regulars 60 out of 100 about 20 of those became stars including one soto and aaron judge and a few other big names and so um they have far surpassed what their prospect numbers are shown, even at the elite level. Yuan Mikado was at the top of the list at the time, and I showed in our recent article that even he is, even though he's not a superstar, he is still far surpassed even the high number that was applied to him there. Long story short, I felt very
0: validated that our numbers are right in line with where they should be. And there is a lot of uncertainty toward the higher end of the market, both with MLB players and with prospects just with the fact that this is a system that's based largely on our, our system. Our model is based largely on real historical events and checking our work with the trades that actually happen. But guys like that don't get traded too often, so we can't exactly check our work on those quite as much. You know, a guy like Castillo whose value is, I believe in the mid or mid 60s right now, I think 62, 63 million for Luis Castillo. Guys with that much value aren't traded too often anyway. And prospects with that much value, like Julio Rodriguez, are almost never traded, because when it is a trade for a Luis Castillo type, it's usually someone from the next tier down from Rodriguez, a very, very good prospect, headlining it, somebody who might be worth, you know, 50 60% of Castillo's value, and then a couple other secondary and tertiary pieces to kind of even out the values there. So we very rarely see guys like Julio Rodriguez get traded at all so it's kind of hard to check your work there and then along that similar vein you never see a guy like Juan Soto get traded so it's kind of just and and we don't expect to see a guy like Juan Soto get traded anytime soon or or Ronald Acuna Jr or anything like that so those numbers I mean they are they are from a a model and there there was a mathematical method of getting to those numbers and they're, they're in line with the rest of our model they're they have a source in in data and in facts but there might be a bit larger of a margin of error there for the upper end of the market than there is for some of the guys that are more likely to get traded on a regular basis yeah
1: and it's uh well there's of course because prospects always have uncertainty and bust risk but there's a higher probability of becoming successful at the top near the top of the list some some validation points that we do have are you want Mankata get, getting as the lead piece for chris sale and my recent piece about that trade um kind of validates that he was at 104 and he surpassed that number already and it made that trade worth it um and even in the Kristen yelich trade you know even though they busted at the time lewis brinson had um over 60 million in value and he was the lead piece for yelich who had over 110 million in value and so the four pieces kind of you know it was a fair trade on paper at the time the fact that they all busted later um is just bad luck on the marlins part but it doesn't mean that you know, it it validated the point that the numbers were sort of in line is what what I'm trying to say. Um, So we've had a few others, but the other sort of thing to your point about they don't get traded very often, you can flip the logic around and say well that's why because they're so valuable like san diego with all their trading and aj preller doing all this thing he still hasn't traded abrams or Hassel because he doesn't want to because he knows they're valuable uh jerry depoto of the mariners had said uh, we're not trading anybody at the top uh, sandy alderson said the same thing you know last year about the Mets. so so you get that sort of thing happening as well these guys know how valuable they are which is another reason why they don't trade them
0: Definitely. And I appreciate that smooth transition into plugging your your Chris Sale piece. Uh, I'll go ahead and link. (laughs) We're not going to talk about that one this week. I'll go ahead and link it in the show notes. Um, But we will likely either next episode, the one after, within the next few episodes, we'll be breaking down... uh, every part of John's ongoing series he did one on Josh Donaldson he did one on Chris Sale that just came out and, and what was the third Christian Yelich yeah you just mentioned it duh okay. <laughs> so those are the three that have been really so far he's continuing to work on those and and then on a future episode we'll be breaking those down um, but for now I think we're ready to move into the one little tidbit of news that we think is relevant to talk about um, obviously with the lockout no real activity you know there's some players signing overseas there's some other international signings, there's some minor league deals, coaching stuff, whatever. None of that's really too relevant to the scope of our podcast. But we did want to mention that Kyle Seeger, uh, right before the new year, kind of surprised some folks by announcing that he was retiring. Um, He had a pretty decent year. He's only 34. Um, It was the end of his long contract with the Mariners, and there was some pretty public fallout between him and the front office there. And so, you know, you could speculate that maybe he only really wanted to play in Seattle he was pretty established there and and wasn't really looking to negotiate with the front office that he was kind of not on great terms with and you know he made his money he had a solid career he was starting to show some signs of decline maybe he just decided to pack it up won't speculate too much he could also have you know a coaching position lined up something like that uh, but what is clear that he still had some level of field value he still had there were still teams potentially interested in him and he still could have been a capable productive major league player in 2022 um, but just choosing to retire on his own terms a little earlier than maybe his body would have forced him to
1: yeah and that it was I, I don't want to speculate at all but yes he had some some value left and so he knows he was leaving some money on the table but obviously everybody has lives and other things going on i i remember when Buster boat <laughs> excuse me buster posey you know had his return <laughs> uh, press conference and he was talking about how hard this past year was for him because he was playing through pain and he was like, to to play at that level after years of bumps and bruises and injuries and these, you know, t- t- the level that he expected himself to play at was getting harder and harder and harder because he was fighting his body. And I'm wondering if maybe Seeger was going through something similar.
0: Yeah, definitely possible. And especially playing such, I mean, it's not, it's not catcher, but... Playing an active yeah. third base, a solid defender, diving toward the line so many times, it's gotta take its toll. Uh, also Buster Posey, Hall of Fame baseball player, and Puster Bosey, Hall of Fame spoonerism. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's pretty much all the news we have, and now we're kind of ready to head into some of these, you know, some of the speculation here. The domino is finishing up our conversation from last episode. And we're gonna do runabout things the same way we did last time, where John kind of takes over. He's running down his list kind of mentioning some of the more interesting teams left whether they're on the selling side the buying side could do a little bit of both or neither Um, some of the teams with more interesting trade capital left either on the selling or buying side and more obvious needs to fill Um, and just kind of profiling them and then we'll break down some user-submitted trade proposals for each of those teams and each of those uh, high-profile players. So I will go ahead and let John take over to start with our first team. Let's start with the two
1: sort of obvious sellers, and the first of which is the A's. Um, You know, it's still somewhat surprising to people that they might be sellers because they've been, you know, a good team for the last four years. They just missed the playoffs this past year, but they were in it three years before that. And, um, and they've still got an excellent core. In fact, the the Zips projections that just came out yesterday still suggest that they're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of an 85, 86, maybe 87 win team. Not that far off. I mean, the Braves just won the World Series and they were right in that neighborhood in the regular season. So one could argue, why are they selling off? Well, they have a cheap, cheap skate owner their players are getting expensive. They're in the latter stages of their ARV years. Some are losing, you know, or some are going to be uh, free agents at the end of this year, a couple of starting pitchers like Mania and Bassett. And so you just sort of get the sense that the we have these sort of three or four year windows. And when they run out, they run out and then they, they rebuild or retool, you know, there's a question there. But it's clear with Bob Melvin leaving and some of the other signals that the team has been sending that they're, they're, you know, they're they're ready to go. They're ready to move their players. So they've got five very tradable players, players who are very attractive to other teams, still relatively affordable. Those being Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, and then three pitchers, uh, Sean Mania, Chris Bassett, and Frankie Montaz, who has two years left. I think the challenge will be. You know, are they going full on tanking and selling off all five of those guys? Are they gonna sell maybe three of those guys? Or are they gonna get major league ready players back? Or are they going to um, kind of wait it out and maybe try to get a new young core? Their top prospect is Tyler Soderstrom, who's just in high A. And so maybe they get other guys for sort of his age and level so that they are targeting everybody to come up around 2025. That is the big question. Like. And then there's a further sort of sort of addendum to that, which is, can you realistically, especially given the lockout and the limited window of time to trade guys once they do come back, can you trade five guys in what two weeks? You know, can you get reasonable deals? I don't know. Maybe they end up two or three of them. So that's where they're at. Let's see what we got.
0: So it does help their case that teams are allowed to discuss trades with each other during the lockout. They just obviously, you know, can't have players go take physicals and. I think the biggest factor there is that the A's don't know exactly what's going to change in the CBA, and so it could change to the to the point where, you know, adjustments to league minimum, adjustments to arbitration, if there's a salary floor, those kinds of things could impact whether they want to trade certain guys and what they, exactly they want the return to look like. So I think that's one of the bigger considerations there, where it's it seems likely that they have had some some conversations with teams about trades to this point, and if they haven't, that they will do so in the next couple months between now and the lockout ending, so it's not necessarily, oh no, if the lockout ends two weeks before spring training, they only have two weeks to sort all this stuff out. Uh, you'd have to guess they have some sort of groundwork, and that applies to all the teams that we're going to talk about today, that they have some sort of groundwork laid and some sort of deals they've been kind of discussing, and maybe not committing to yet, Uh, but i also i also don't think it's going to be as extreme as the lockout is over and that next day we have a flurry of trades that we're all completely agreed to during the lockout and just finally getting you know finalized with physicals and all that so i don't think we're going to quite get that either but it's not a full lockout for them so we I, i still expect some good level of activity uh but but you're right that it is a challenge with so many moving pieces to move those five guys and i'd i'd even throw in sean murphy into there um Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic has mentioned twice now in separate articles that he's another one that they're considering moving and getting a lot of hits on. We've talked in the past about how weak the catcher market is right now, and he would obviously be at the very top of that. He's a young player who's good on both sides of the ball and has four years of team control, very affordable remaining. So a team like the Yankees, which we'll get to a little bit later on here, um, could be very interested in him. Uh, But let's start out with Matt Olson. He's really the most talked about name of that bunch right now he's the combination of being more likely to be traded because he is more expensive and also very good you know you could see them hanging on to matt chapman and seeing if he can kind of regain his footing uh, get his bat back in the first half of 2022 and then flip him at the deadline or next off season if if he has come back you could see that happening but with olsen it doesn't seem like his value is going to go any higher he's coming off the best season of his career and only two years of control left now is probably the time to move him if they want to if they're not going to be able to extend him and he's been very connected to the yankees above any other team but i have a whole bunch of proposals here from a lot of different teams uh so let's start with the yankees from user stealing steel in sunshine steel and sunshine okay uh this one would send olsen who we have at 45.3 million in median trade value Bassett, who we have at 17 million in median trade value, and Elvis Andrews, who we have at negative 4.2 million in trade value. So that's 58.1 total headed to the Yankees. In exchange, the A's would pr- receive shortstop, Oswald Perra- shortstop prospect Oswald Peraza at 25.5 million, outfield prospect Jason Dominguez at 25 million, uh, right handed pitching prospect Clark Schmidt at 6.8 million, and left handed pitching prospect JP Sears at 0.9 million. So it's 58.2 headed to the Athletics. And so this is kind of one of the stereotypical types of proposals you'll see uh for an olsen deal there's a whole bunch of them where the a's add in a, a bunch of proposals and a bunch of speculation where the a's add in one of bassett or Manaya because the yankees could also use some rotation help and since those guys are just one-year rental players they might they're going to cost less than frankie montas would so you're going to see a lot of permutations with that, and you're going to see a lot of permutations with Elvis Andrews included because, oh, the Yankees have a hole at shortstop and the A's are cheap and want to get rid of the money. And then you're also on the other end of it, you're going to see a lot of deals that include especially Oswald Peraza and then a handful with Jason Dominguez and Clark Schmidt's another attractive one that that Yankees fans are always trying to trade. And so this is kind of my proxy for like a very stereotypical uh, Matt Olson to the Yankees proposal. And there's a couple reasons I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, For the first one is there's just a lot of money headed to the Yankees in this deal, and we haven't really seen any indication of what their strategy is going to be in terms of payroll, in terms of a luxury tax, because right now they're still pushing right up against it. They have some obvious holes they need to fill. They could try to get creative again and not go over. They could go over, but not too much. We don't know exactly what their strategy is. And in this deal, they're taking on 7 million for Andrews, 8.8 million for Bassett, and i believe olson's arbitration estimate is like 12 million 14 million somewhere in that range for this season it's 12 yeah 12 yeah so that's that is almost 30 million dollars in payroll that they are taking in in 2022 payroll that they are taking on in this one deal um so i don't think i don't know if that's going to line up with their strategy i don't think it will necessarily and and i don't think either side necessarily sees a great reason to include andrews in a deal like this I don't think the incentive for the A's to get rid of a one-year $7 million contract is so huge, and I don't think the Yankees really see him as anything better than plan Z as their shortstop solution. So I don't think that makes perfect sense. And then we've discussed in the past how Jason Dominguez is such a tricky prospect to evaluate right now because the sky is the limit, but he really hasn't put it together in affiliated ball quite yet, and, and you wonder how much of that uh, that upside is the Yankee hype machine, and, and there's, there's a whole wide range of, of outcomes for him, much higher variance than the average prospect, so you wonder both if the A's want that to be one of their centerpieces for a big deal, as well as if the Yankees are going to be willing to move move him, depending on how high on him they are. Um, but, uh, but Peraza does make a lot of sense. He's included in a lot of these proposals. The Yankees are pretty stocked in the middle infield on their farm, just with players who aren't quite ready for the big leagues yet. And Peraza seems like a, a, a decent option to move. And uh, Clark Schmidt as well seems to have fallen a little bit out of favor there, but still has some upsides, some, some value left, and could make sense to an A's team that could really use some rotation depth. So that's me rambling about this trade for <laughs> for a lot of minutes straight. John, I'll I'll, I'll let you talk. Uh, okay, now. I'll be quick. Um, Olsen of the Yankees is
1: by far the most rumored destination for him. Peraza is probably... I'm quite often rumored as kind of the lead piece in that with a pitcher or two or three as, a, as a compliment. So in that sense, I think, you know, it's it's on the right track. I could see the inclusion of ambassador or um, because they do need a second pitcher as well. Um, you know, especially if they're aiming for the playoffs, you've got Garrett Cole, and then who do you got starting game two? They need a guy like that. Um, I, I, First of all, touching on Elvis Andrus, I don't think the A's are going to trade Andrus. I don't think anybody wants him. He's undervalued. He's, his contract is underwater, I should say. But he also has a no trade clause. And he also has a vesting uh, clause, which no one wants to touch because if he goes over a certain amount of plate appearances, as I understand it, then his contract for next year kicks in at something like $14 million or $15 million, And no one wants to do that, given that he's been a pretty weak player in the last couple of years. And then I think the A's plan is to have him hold the seat until Nick Allen their shortstop prospect uh comes up in 2022 and so i think that's plan a and and that makes me wonder if they would even want peraza as the lead piece because they seem to like alan and he's a glove first guy there's a question about his bat but he's a glove first guy and oh look peraza also a glove first guy so you know I, I suspect that the yankees and they've been sending signals that they want you know to uh find a seat warmer for their shortstop prospects like Volpe or peraza so they might sign an andrewton simmons or you know somebody like that just for a one-year deal until volpe's right. i suspect because volpe is the higher rated guy and has the better bat he's the guy they're waiting for and so they may want to deal peraza but i'm not sure this is the right actual fit for him because the a's already have nick allen coming and you could say okay well we'll move one of them to second base yes you could do that but we've talked in the past about how second base is further down the spectrum and so there's actually kind of a loss of value if you do that so you're not really taking advantage of nick allen's value or peraza's value if you move them off for of shortstop so yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so i struggle with that a bit the pitchers i'm fine with um but but i think that is the big problem and i don't think the yankees are going to move uh either because i think they love his upside and they are going to be patient with him he's only what 19 or so um and the error bars are very wide he could totally bust he could totally be a superstar no one knows but i don't think they want to give up that upside yet so i don't think this is quite the perfect package but i do think olsen's going to end up on the yankees if if anywhere
0: all right all all very good points and i agree with pretty much all of them um i also just have one kind of bare bones not bare bones kind of Simpler Olson deal to the Yankees that I just want to briefly mention. <clears throat> this one's from user Ice Bear and it has just Olson head of the Yankees at 45.3. In exchange for Peraza at 25.5, Schmidt at 6.8, catcher slash outfielder Austin Wells at 9.3, and right-handed pitcher Hayden Wisniewski at 3.7. So it evens out 45.3, also headed to the Athletics. And so it's got the same issue that Peraza, that you just mentioned with Peraza and, and him and Allen, and which one plays shortstop. Uh, But instead of Dominguez, who was a little bit questionable, it swaps him out for Austin Wells, who uh, the Yankees, some are speculating that they sent him to the Arizona Fall League last year as kind of a showcase. Uh, He was their first round pick, I believe, in 2020. And it seems like they're maybe not quite as high on him as they used to be. There's some uncertainty over over whether he's going to stick behind the plate or if he needs to move to a corner outfield spot. Um, So he's been very... Also a very common name speculated in heading to the A's in one of these deals. And then Wisnenski is just another right-handed pitching prospect a little bit farther down the system uh, that can help stock the A's arms. So just another kind of variation on that. We don't need to go too in-depth on this one because we have a whole lot of other teams to talk about for Olsen.
1: Yeah, that's fine. I do want to say, though, that that is more typical of the package (laughs) that I've seen sort of rumored to be. And play a lot uh, mm-hmm. despite that, the comments I made about Peraza I do think that one is a little yeah. more structured uh, a little
0: more realistically mm-hmm. and Esteban Florial and Everson Pereira are two outfielders who are also commonly included in these mm-hmm. in these proposals Davy Garcias comes up every now and then Luis Gil mm-hmm. uh, just just the the general Yankees names that aren't Volpe or are usually not Dominguez mm-hmm. all right now let's move on to another team who we've been talking about um, for especially John for for multiple episodes multiple weeks now as a potential fit for Olsen but that we don't see much of in in the baseball media at large and that's the Cleveland Guardians so this proposal from user Dejuba has them acquiring just Olsen at 45.3 in exchange for second baseman Tyler Freeman at 24.8 million in median trade value third baseman Nolan Jones at 19.2 million in median trade value and outfielder pd halpin at 3.3 million in median trade value so it's 47.3 headed to oakland and we talked about the guardians and how they have a complete roster crunch they really overhauled their 40 man roster at the at the rule 5 protection deadline to protect a lot of these prospects that they needed to they have a very crowded middle infield uh, but not necessarily any short or long term solutions at first base or in the outfield and so Speculation is that they could move some of those middle infielders to try and address those needs, and so Olson would immediately slot in as their first baseman and and be arguably the best hitter in that lineup. Either him or Jose Ramirez, take your pick. Um, In exchange, the Athletics acquire Freeman, who's a well-regarded second base prospect. Even though he is a second base prospect, he it seems like the bat's going to play up enough for him to retain some value there. And then Nolan Jones, who has some swing and miss and and questionable whether he's going to be a third baseman might be a corner outfielder might be a first baseman but those are all spots that the a's have openings especially if they also trade matt chapman so that makes some sense for them and then help in just some lower minors uh outfield depth as well so you have kind of been tooting the the guardians make a big trade for potentially olsen horn for a while now so what are your takes on this version of it and, and just the fit in general
1: yeah i i think this one is interesting um so with Olsen going to the guardians you know they need a first base upgrade Bobby bradley has not been very successful there and you know they're not i don't think they're trading ramirez they've got shane bieber they've got a strong pitching staff They're they had some injuries last year otherwise i think they would have been more competitive i don't think they're going anywhere in terms of non-competitive they they're going to try to compete again Uh, for the central in which case if that's their strategy they need to upgrade and fill some holes in which case Olsen makes perfect sense for them as a first baseman the other thing that makes sense for them is this is a three prospects for one player deal and they've got to your point so many prospects that are that needed to be added to the 40 that and 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 the same thing's going to happen again next year that they really do need to do some consolidation so this also sort of checks that box for the A side I actually like Freeman a lot for the A's because to your point he's not um a shortstop he looks like a second base prospect but he's got you for a second base prospect what you want is a strong hit tool and that's what he brings everybody seems to agree that he's going to hit so and and he would be a perfect comp- complement to a glove for a shortstop so like Nykahl so I think he would definitely be of interest to the A's. Nolan Jones' stock has fallen a little bit. He used to be kind of at the top of their prospect list. Now he's not quite as much. Uh, I think because of some swing and miss issues, some uh, at the higher levels uh, pitchers are starting to exploit him a little bit. So that concerns me a little bit if I'm the A's. On the other hand, he's still got some really scary raw power and maybe they can develop it just like they did with Olsen. So maybe he's a future first base replacement for them or third base or left fielder, what have you. Um, We're still not sure, by the way, where Tyler Soderstrom of the A's is going to end up. He may not stick as catcher. He may be first baseman or left fielder. So if they got Jones, they'd have to sort of figure out which one of those guys goes where. But that's a problem for the future. My my larger point is I think this is a pretty, I'm going to squint a little bit, pretty realistic deal. I'm Totally not sure about Jones, but I do like Freeman as the lead piece. So I think this is close.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I think Freeman is an almost perfect fit for some sort of trade between these two teams because mm-hmm. of the glut we mentioned um, on the middle infield in Cleveland and Oakland's kind of... Oakland really has a very shallow farm system in general. So it's it's easy to say, oh, they need outfielders and, and pitchers and infielders. Interesting. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but second base is a spot that does look like it's kind of wide open they they have some corner infield prospects where you and and some outfield prospects where you squint and you could see them making a big league impact even if they're not the biggest names but they're really pretty empty on the middle infield after nick allen until you you know go down a few years to robert poisson who who knows if he's going to hit at all either he's he's a lower upside higher risk version of jason dominguez where he was very hyped as a, as a prospect um, internationally and co- since coming stateside he hasn't really done much so that's that's a big void for them and freeman seems like their type of player who might be a little undervalued because of his defensive limitations but they're fine taking advantage of that and just getting a really solid bat into the lineup in him so i, I like him as a lead piece for really any deal between these two teams if if they were to make one um, and, and I'm with you that you could kind of quibble about Jones, maybe try and sub him out for either another infi- another middle infielder or some pitching help or something like that. But the framework, I'm I'm on board with it as well. Cool. All right, next we're gonna kind of stay true to the domino aspect of things, a- and the the big piece that really needs to fall or or likely will have to fall before Olson is traded is Freddie Freeman's gonna have to find a home. And so he's still a free agent. Everyone was pretty surprised that the Braves weren't able to re-sign him before the the lockout began. And so that's leading to a lot of natural speculation of, are they going to re-sign him? If not, where's he going? Is it the Dodgers? Could the Yankees break the bank for him? Where's he gonna go? And if he does go elsewhere, then maybe the Braves pivot to Olsen. So here we're gonna look at that. This deal is really creative. It's from user BOMBS uh with it's it's all b.o.bm b.o.m.b.s um and it has olson at 45.3 steven piscotti at negative 8.6 and 10 million dollars cash headed to the braves so that's 46.7 total in exchange for starting pitcher mike soroka 19.2 outfielder drew waters 14.7 and right-handed pitching prospect spencer strider at 9.7 so 43.6 heading back to oakland and now I don't love this exact permutation of the deal i piscotti is kind of along the same lines as andrews he's just a one-year commitment i don't think it makes sense for the a's to be that desperate to get out from his contract and especially not uh to the extent where they'd be paying his entire contract and some of olson's i mean part of the motivation for them to be trading all these guys to begin with is that they're low on money and they need to offset some of these costs so I don't think they're going to be interested in paying down much of anybody's uh, contract that they are trading. So I don't think that necessarily makes sense. But it is an interesting idea to be targeting a player like Soroka, who has some injury risk, and he might not be ready on day one 2022. But that's okay for the A's. They're okay with having a guy who needs to rehab for a little bit and could potentially be a major league contributor in 2023 and the years following. So I don't think this, I, me choosing this trade was not an endorsement of the proposal at all. And actually in the comments, uh, the user explained that the actual trade that he wants to propose has Marcelo Zuna and Cash headed to the A's. And I don't think that makes any sense at all. I don't I don't think the A's are having any interest in, in dealing with the Marcelo Zuna situation, let alone the contract, any of that. So I, I don't, don't agree with that one at all. But this is more just of a Kind of a, a talking point of, of the Braves as a landing point for Olsen. I think Drew Waters is a name that's gonna come up in, in those discussions. Um and and Soroka is an interesting one that I hadn't considered before seeing this proposal. So what are your general thoughts there? I'm
1: not crazy about it. I do like the idea of Olsen to Atlanta if Freeman doesn't sign obviously that's that's a huge domino <laughs> that we're waiting for um because i you know if if somebody else picks him up then and yes the braves will love me in the olsen market and the side note is Olson uh, olsen is from the atlanta era orig- area originally so he's a native and so he would be very popular there for that reason i would imagine um and he fits their window They're obviously still in win now mode so two years of olsen in his prime would, would suit them well i don't like it for the a's because um i i just can't get see them being interested in Soroka. Um, who's not only suffering from continuous injury problems, but I think he's his years of control are starting to, to diminish, and I'm not quite sure that would fit their strategy. Uh, Waters' stock has dropped because he's got some hitting issues, uh, some swing and miss tendencies that I'm not sure they're going to like. Strider is, on the opposite end, um, interesting. He's sort of raised a, raised his stock. He's made himself very interesting, but that's not enough. I think a package for Olsen would have to be led by Michael Harris, their top prospect. Um, because the A's are demanding, you know, at least a 50-rated player, if not two of them, for Olson as the lead piece. So I don't think this package is is the right one at all for that. But I do like the idea of him going to Atlanta, if uh, you know, if, if Freeman doesn't sign there.
0: Yeah, I think the issue with Soroka is that he's not—he doesn't have enough control to really be one of those pieces where you're okay. You know, like like the Cubs were discussing a deal for Tyler Glasnow at the deadline, reportedly. So that would be one where he has to rehab for a full year, but then they get the rest of his uh, of of his years of control at a presumably lower cost because that first year is burned. Um, Soroka is one of those where it, there's so much. It's not just your traditional, you know, Tommy John. He's going to be back in 12 months, whatever. There's been so many additional injuries and re-injuring and stuff like that, so you're not you don't necessarily feel safe with that, especially with only three years of control. And even as best, he wasn't necessarily elite. Elite. There were some questions there about the peripherals not necessarily backing up the performance. You know, doesn't miss as many bats as as a guy with with his ERA would be expected to. And so yeah, I'd agree that he's he's an interesting name to throw into these discussions, but I don't think he's one that would really interest the A's, especially as like a centerpiece here um and and yeah harris probably is is the first name they're asking for and it's going to be up to whether the braves are willing to part with him and 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 as you mentioned it's all all about freddie freeman first yep all right so then moving over to the other potential suitor for freddie freeman that's really been discussed is the dodgers um and and even regardless of whether freeman you know whatever happens with freeman um if, if he does return to the braves uh there is a reason to believe that the Dodgers could still be in the first base market in the Matt Olson market, considering uh the UCL damage reportedly that Max Muncie suffered on the, in that final week of the season that caused him to miss the playoffs. Originally it was reported that he was gonna have to miss the playoffs, but he'd be fine long term, ready to start twenty 2020, twenty uh twenty twenty two. Uh but now there's been some doubt about that. And even if not, he has a lot of versatility. They could still go for a big impact bat at first base, and so this deal has them acquiring olsen 45.3 as well as sean Manaya 18 and a half so 63.8 total are headed to the dodgers in exchange for outfield prospect andy pajes pages at 20.3 million in, med- in median trade value uh, first base prospect miguel vargas at 20.2 right-handed pitcher ryan pepiot at 14.1 left-handed pitcher victor gonzalez at 5.5 and right-handed pitcher clayton beater at 4.5 so uh, that adds up to 64.6. It's two, you know, more traditional headliner types in Pajes and Vargas, and then you know a solid third piece in Pepio, a reliever in Gonzalez, and and kind of a lottery ticket uh, org de- or not 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 quite org depth, but a lottery ticket lower ranked prospect in Beater, and it's in exchange for the biggest chip in Olson and their one of their top rental chips in Manaya and obviously the Dodgers have a lot of rotation spots to fill as well, and so Minaya could be of interest to them. Um, I'm not sure if this is necessarily the Dodgers' plan A. I don't know if, I I'd assume they'd be prioritizing rotation help before Olsen, but they are also big proponents of just adding value wherever you can get it, and I don't know, this might this might do it for them. What do you think? It's what's interesting to me uh, from both teams' perspective. Because
1: at first glance, you don't think the Dodgers necessarily need a first baseman. They can always just play Bellinger there like they have in the past. Or, you know, assuming, well, depending on whether Muncie is healthy enough, you would, I mean, I think Muncie is their first baseman. But then you've got the question of the NLDH. And so, do they need a dedicated DH spot? If so, then Muncie seems like a perfect DH guy. And so now you've got a hole at first base. So, so maybe you can kind of say, oh, I guess they need a first baseman. They also have a tendency to kind of like, speaking of dominoes, move pieces around. So they lost Seeger. So now they're moving Trey Turner to shortstop. Maybe that gives Gavin Lux the job at second. We'll see if he can. But they also resend Chris Taylor, who we know plays everywhere. So is he going to be the second baseman? In which case, Lux it moves around. Yeah. There's all these sort of moving parts with the Dodgers. You never quite know how they're putting the whole thing together. So it's quite a puzzle. Um, but but I'll buy that they need one more bat, let's say, because they lost Seager, and he's a left-handed bat. So, okay, from a lineup perspective, yes, they could use Olsen. So I get that. So that's cool. And they definitely need um, another starter, given... You know, we were joking last year, oh, they've got seven starters and look what happened. They lost two or three of them or four of them. And so um, they're in the sort of uh, the opposite predicament now where having lost those guys, now they need more and maybe they're going to c- accumulate another seven anticipation of depth, you know, even though they're getting May back, even though maybe they give Gonsolin a better shot, they still need more. So I can see my being fit there. So I like it for the Dodgers, I guess, when you sort of think it through, I like it a lot for the A's actually, because they're getting really interesting prospects guys who have been sort of raising their stock in, in both pies and Vargas uh, and the other guys as well. I, I think that's a solid, um that's a solid return uh for these two guys one could argue maybe they don't want to consolidate you know two of their five big chips into one deal unless it's enough where it compensates for the fact that maybe they get a little overpay for also maybe they get a little overpay from night if they traded separately but if you get a, a big enough overpay in this package or you like the package enough then i then i think it's worth it for them um and as we talked about they got a lot of holes to fill so maybe you know this one doesn't maybe he's is the corner outfield guy of the future maybe vargas could be their first baseman of the future to replace olsen got a couple pitchers in there so i think it's a pretty good package i like this one all around
0: yeah i could see the main holdup being just how how deliberate the dodgers have been with their prospects for feels like a decade now (laughs) it's just the new regime has been very intentional with which and i mean not not to suggest that other teams aren't but it seems like they've had this stacked farm system for years and years and they're really good at knowing who to trade and which guys they really want to hang on to and so it just makes you you know wonder there's five guys here i mean let's not count gonzalez he's he's a reliever at the big league level so four prospects here um one of those guys and i mean i mean look at andy pajes i know he was rumored in the uh in the jock peterson to the angels deal that kind of fell through but you know he's risen his stock since then so maybe he's become one of those guys that they didn't necessarily want to move i i remember pepiot's name was mentioned at this trade deadline uh the 2021 trade deadline i should say um and and, they didn't end up trading him so maybe he's one of those guys so that's really the biggest wild card here is just which of these names and i mean you could argue that's the biggest wild card in any of these trade proposals but um the dodgers more so than other teams seem to know which guys they're willing to trade and which guys they're not and it's just a question of are any of those guys that they're not going to trade on this list if if they are then it gets a little bit tougher to make a deal work but i do really like this framework for for both sides And and that proposal was from Trevino Trevino. So thank you for that one. And let's see, how many more Olsen ones do I have? One more Olsen proposal. And this one is really outside of the box. So we we won't have to spend too long on this one. So this one's a three-team deal. It's also from user DeJuba. It's a three-team deal between the Brewers, A's, and Red Sox. So it has the Brewers acquiring Olsen. Uh, They could really use some offensive help. They have an incredible... Pitching staff, but weren't able to support it with any kind of offense during the postseason the last couple years. So they're acquiring Olsen. The A's are acquiring outfielder Jaron Duran from the Red Sox at 20.1, outfield prospect Sal Frelick at 16.3, and first baseman Blaze Jordan from the Red Sox at 6.6. And the Red Sox are acquiring left handed pitching, uh, left handed closer Josh Hader at 27 million from the brewers so the red sox give up jordan and duran for hater and the brewers give up hater and Frelick for olsen so
1: um so first of all as i sort of joked around with Dejuba in the comments um this one actually is very similar to one that was proposed and featured a couple of weeks ago by grover um almost there was a couple of small pieces that were different but but the structure of the trade was the same so great minds think alike and i know youtube has been making a lot of really smart trade proposals so hats off to him for that one but i i think we might have talked about the grover version of this earlier i think it makes sense and that one got a lot of likes um for each team so i think it makes perfect sense but just to kind of go over it again hater to the red Sox makes a lot of sense they're in win now mode so Maybe he's the kind of guy that gets them over the top. Um, Brewers are in wind down mode. They got a hole at first base. So maybe he sort of adds that extra punch that they need because Roddy, Roddy Telez is not quite doing it. And um, the A's get some really interesting prospects. I like Froelich to the A's in particular. Um, he's kind of, you know, a hot sort of bat that's up and coming kind of. Around the same sort of age and level cohort um, that could fit in well with Soderstrom, um, Duran has some questions. His stock has dropped a little bit after he made a debut at the MLB level and did not did not impress anybody. So, but he's still got tools. So uh, maybe he gets turned around with a little more playing time. So, um, so I think this one has some uh, something for everybody, and I think that's why it got so many likes. Um, so I think uh, I think it could work
0: i knew this sounded familiar if only i had (laughs) if only i had scrolled down into the comments to see you and and the juba discussing that it was almost identical to the grover one uh my bad but just to just to touch on it really quick um i could see really two main potential hang-up points because i think this makes a lot of sense for the red Sox. i they have a pretty crowded outfield and As much as they might like duran you know he did just have the rough debut and there's not a clear path to paint to playing time for him in the near future and like you said they're in win now mode so i think he makes sense to move as does blaze jordan who's kind of a high risk high reward lower ranked prospect um and hater just makes great sense for them they really need pitching right now and and that could really solidify what's been a shaky bullpen for a couple years so i think the two main holdups are the brewers whether they want to trade Hader, because he's been rumored to be on the market for years and years and years now, and they've held on. And every time his name comes up and, and real reports come out about him, it's that the Brewers' price for him is just sky high, because they're contending, they like him, they know how important he is, but he is just getting more and more expensive. And if they want to add some offense, he might be the easiest guy to move there. So I see the argument there. Um, and then just the A's end of it, if, if they really trust Duran if they want to pick up an MLB ready uh, p- player as basically the headline of their deal for Olsen. An MLB ready player who's a bit on the older end for a prospect uh, might not fit their timeline quite as well. So those are the real hang-ups to me. Um, we don't have to dwell on this too long if if we have <laughs> since we have discussed it before essentially. Um, but yeah that's that's all of the Olsen ones and we can <laughs> this is turning into just an A's episode. I severely underestimated how long it, it, we might spend on each of these, so we can pick it up a little bit. I still have some interesting ones to get to for some of their other pieces, but we can kind of pick up the pace here. Um, let's go ahead and stick on the A's and Brewers, though. Uh, this one's from user WarmBath101, and this one has the Brewers acquiring, instead of Matt Olson, Matt Chapman at 24.1 in median trade value. And in exchange, they'd be sending the A's infield prospect uh, Bryce Terang at 19.5, who was one of their top prospects as well as Eduardo Garcia, shortstop prospect at 6.6, and MLB infielder Keston Hura, who we have at zero. We had him as a non-tender candidate. So it's the three of them adding up to 26.1, headed to Oakland for Chapman. They get one really solid shortstop prospect, one that's a bit more of a gamble a little farther off, and then kind of a reclamation project in Hura in exchange for Chapman.
1: Yeah, I don't quite understand this one, because they why do they need Chapman? Because I thought they'd sort of settled on... Uh, Luis Urias is their third baseman they've got obviously Adamas at short so they moved Urias to third seems to be doing well Um, so maybe they move him to second Uh, but don't they have Colton Wong at second so like okay now what (laughs) I don't quite understand the fit for the Brewers uh, and then the A's, um, you know, with terang is the lead piece. I don't quite get that either because he's another glove for a shortstop, and as we talked about, Nick Allen's a glove for a shortstop, so you got some duplication there. You don't want to devalue one of them by moving the second. Uh, I'm not getting this one at all. Sorry.
0: Yeah, the Chapman market is a little bit tougher, and you have a lot of proposals with teams kind of moving him around or moving around a lot of pieces to make him work, and I'm not sure. I don't know how likely that is, especially considering the offensive struggles he's had the last two years and coming off the injury. And, and, you know, there's reason to believe that his bat will rebound as his hip fully recovers and he gets a swing and timing back. But and even if he doesn't, he's still a very valuable defender. But the strikeout rate was really high. He was an average hitter last season. That's not necessarily the type of guy you give up a lot for and move a lot of pieces on your own roster for. So I agree with you. There's a lot of weird moving parts in this one. It does have very good reception, so I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely sure on both ends of this. It's uh, for the Brewers, it's seven up, three down. For the A's, it's seven up, four down. Uh, so I'm not, I'm also not entirely sure. I mean, I mean, you're right. Urias, Urias was pretty solid at third base for them down the stretch. Willie Adamas was fantastic for them, and, and Colton Wong had a very good year as well. And you're not moving Chapman to a different position unless. Mm. I guess, I guess that is one other piece of no, uh, of news we can hit on this week was that rumor came out that the Yankees had discussed acquiring Matt Chapman as as their shortstop solution. Uh, that's that's not something I would necessarily advise. <laughs> um, when you have a generational defender at third base, you might want to leave him there. I, I could see the argument for it, you know, potentially working out. He's covered a little bit of shortstop the last couple of years with Oakland, but I don't know if that's if that should necessarily be anyone's plan A, but even if you try that here, I mean, what are you doing? Are you moving <laughs> to the outfield or, or what? I don't. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't fully get this one.
1: Yeah, and just a note on that, Chapman, I think first of all, we're obviously in a very slow news period. So any little tidbit is going to get blown out of proportion. And I think that's what happened. It it sounds like it was in a meeting and somebody casually threw out, okay, what if we had Chapman and moved to short? It was just like a wild sort of idea. Sometimes when you're in a meeting, you sort of get a little crazy. That's what it sounded like to me. And um, you know, so I don't think it was anything more than that, frankly. I, I barely, I, you know, if this were been a regular news cycle, I don't know anybody would even, even picked up a story like that because there's not much to it. But anyway, um, but yes, obviously, you don't want to move one of the best defensive third baseman's in baseball, you know, off of his position, you know, especially after hip surgery. You <laughs> know, to me, that's just a non-starter i don't, I don't yep.
0: like it either yeah Yep. If, if he's already trying to focus on getting his timing back at the plate you, you don't need him also focusing on learning a, a new position even if i think he has the talent to handle shortstop that that's really not too much of a question but given the health concerns given the bat i'm there's there are like i said that shouldn't be plan a for the yankees i don't know if it should be plan e yeah. that's way down the line yeah all right uh, speaking of Grover earlier, we have a big three-team deal from him. He's he's getting good at these. <laughs> um, this one's between the Blue Jays, A's, and Yankees. Has the Blue Jays acquiring Matt Chapman, 24.1, as well as right-handed reliever Lou Trevino at 1.1. The Yankees acquiring catcher Sean Murphy at 65.2, as well as Stephen Piscotti at negative 8.6. And then the A's acquiring shortstop prospect Anthony Volpe from the Yankees at 46.6. Austin Wells mentioned before catching prospect from the Yankees 9.3 as well as Jordan Groshans infield prospect from the Blue Jays at 19.8 catcher Reese McGuire from the Blue Jays at 4.6 left-handed pitcher Anthony K from the Blue Jays at 0.8 and left-handed pitching prospect Ricky Tiedemann from the Blue Jays at 1.8 so a whole lot of moving parts in this one as Grover explains in the comments it's not actually a three-way trade there's no players changing hands between the Blue Jays and Yankees it's just more presented as a three-way trade here to kind of show the justification for the A's acquiring a guy like McGuire uh, when they already have Murphy. Well, it's because they're trading Murphy to the Yankees. And Murphy makes a lot of sense for the Yankees. They are looking for a longer-term uh, catching option, and there aren't many on the market, but he's a very good defender. He's younger. He's very affordable right now. Uh, he's, he's everything that Gary Sanchez is not, let's put it that way. Um, I don't know if if as we discussed before I don't know how um, how urgent Oakland how urgently Oakland feels it needs to move Stephen Piscotty but he's included as well to kind of offset the prospect cost for the Yankees and I don't know how excited the Yankees are to move Anthony Volpe but on the whole this is a really really big return for the A's for moving you know two of their biggest chips here in in murphy and chapman as well as getting out from under the biscotti contract so a whole lot going on here i don't know it's hard to ever say that a three-team deal looks ever looks super realistic because three-team deals are super complicated and they always kind of catch you off guard when they do happen and they're always pretty outside the box so it's not necessarily something you can try to predict the same way you can a regular deal but there's a lot in here that i think makes sense you know the Blue Jays, Chapman's a good fit. Trevino, they could use some bullpen help. The A's, picking up Groshans as their kind of Chapman replacement, even though, he, well, he's kind of blocked in Toronto. And picking up Kay and Tiedemann to fill out their their pitching depth. Picking up McGuire to replace Murphy. There, there's a whole lot here that makes a lot of sense. But just the nature of any deal like this is there's going to be so many opportunities for it to get held up.
1: Yeah, so compliments to Grover because he always thinks it through um, from every team's perspective so and that's something i encourage everybody who visits our site to do because the typical problem is you're only thinking about your own favorite team and not necessarily the fit on the other team and so so hats off to Grover for doing that as he usually does and uh, but this one makes my head spin because frankly i i have a hard time with three team trades as it is because they can get very complicated and so i i don't even know where to begin other than i like the return for the a's as you mentioned a lot of a lot of, a lot of names coming back for them um volpe in particular i think would uh despite what i said earlier because he's a bat first guy i think you can you can make that work because you've got the additional sort of benefit of him sort of anchoring the lineup um murphy to the yankees i like a lot uh, I can't remember all the all the pieces you you mentioned, but uh, you know I think it it is a bit of a long shot because it's so hard to get three teams to agree on all the pieces. Um, but I think this so for that reason this one is a little out there, but I think there's justification from every team's point of view.
0: Yeah, I think the other main holdup I could see is you know the Yankees and Volpe in general they. I want to hang on to him he's he's their best prospect he's their long-term shortstop if they do just go with that stopgap option this year um and and they they clearly like him a lot and i could see some contention regardless of whether it's warranted or not and regardless of whether the Yankees should care about what the fan base thick thinks i could see some contention to giving up volpe for murphy when murphy's you know a lower 200s batting average type hitter you know he's he's very good or i won't even say very good he's a pretty good hitter for a catcher but not the type of hitter that knocks your socks off overall and that would maybe feel like it justifies giving up your best shortstop prospect Um, so i could see that being pretty much i I think that's probably the biggest hold up of this entire deal fair point yeah all right one last a's trade i promise then we can move on (laughs) Uh, this one, uh, I wanted to at least get one Frankie Montas deal in here. I'm not sure if they'll move him, but he has more value than either Mania or Bassett because of that second year of control. Plus, he's a very talented pitcher. So this has Montas, who we have at 39.6 million in median trade value, headed to the Twins in exchange for second baseman Luis Arias at 27.9 million and right-handed pitching prospect Josh Winder at 13.1. So it's 39.6 to the Twins, 41 flat to the A's. Uh, this deal was submitted by, proposal was submitted by Tony06. And obviously, the, twin, the Twins really don't have much of a pitching staff right now. They kind of sat by and watched as a lot of the big dominoes on the free agent uh, market for starting pitching as they kind of fell. And all they were able to scoop up was Dylan Bundy. And after losing Kenta Maeda to an injury, after trading Jose Barrios, they, it's a really empty rotation there in Minnesota. But Montas immediately becomes their best pitcher. They do have a pretty crowded offensive situation um Arias definitely isn't at the top of their list of guys who they would want to trade but you can move pieces around with you know Polanco playing second base Royce Lewis who missed last year with an ACL injury uh, he could step in as their starting shortstop and then they have Donaldson at third Sano at first and a and pretty full outfield so you can make that team work pretty reasonably without Arias um, and then Josh Winder is kind of an up-and-coming pitching prospect for them, whom they might not want to move because he is kind of on the rise right now. Um, but this, it, I think the biggest holdup in this is just whether the Twins think they're good enough to justify moving two guys that they probably like a lot for Montas. Uh, but from the A's, it's a, I think it's a really good return. It's it's only got three thumbs up and six down for the A's, but I like their return a lot on this. It could be some bias. I, I really like Luis Arias as a, as a player. The high contact rate, I think, is just really fun. And he's got some defensive versatility. Um, but I, I think I really like the return more than our users do. Um okay. So <laughs> let's
1: look at the twins rotation, shall we? Dylan Bundy. Bailey over Joe Ryan, Randy Dobnak, and Lewis Thorpe, according to roster resource. It's basically one established pitcher and a whole bunch of guys. You're like, who? <laughs> so, okay. um, so I'm sorry for laughing, but that is a major problem if they have any idea of. Now the question here is, are they competing or not? They finished in last in the Central. You know, one could argue it's time to rebuild, and maybe they're sending signs that they will. But maybe there's maybe they're not they've still got donaldson they've still got they just signed Buxton to an extension they've got polanco at his prime kepler is still pretty good garver is a good catcher like okay you can sort of squint and see a winning team there maybe they just had some bad luck last year and so maybe they go for it they're getting royce lewis soon because he's going to come back from his injury it's your point maybe that creates a crowded infield um they do have some catcher depth to 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 trade from um but that's not the issue here so um so my point is are they the right fit? Like, is it worth it for them to give up a couple of younger guys for rotation help? Or should they just say, yeah, no, maybe we've only got two years of control over Montas. Maybe, we don't, maybe we're don't. we not going to compete in the next two years, in which case it doesn't make sense. So that's the big question. If indeed they do want to compete, then I can see it making making sense. On the A's side, um, I like arias as a player, but I question whether he's a fit if they decide to rebuild. Because... He has less, he's already an established major league player for the most part. He's still got some control, but you'd think they'd want somebody younger. Um, and that's my only issue with that. He's an excellent hitter and exciting player. Um, but as a lead piece, I would think they would want like a prospect instead of a, an MLB-level player. Um, Winder, I think, makes a lot of sense for the A's. But then again, he, likes, he makes a lot of sense to, for the Twins to keep, given how badly they need pitching help. So uh, I'm struggling with this one a little bit, to be honest, because um, I'm not quite sure it fits either team strategy.
0: Yeah, all very fair points there. Um, I think it really, you know, the point you the point you made about uh, Arise and his team control, I think it all really depends on what the A's actually see their timeline being. And I think you could make a pretty strong argument that if they're gonna train Montas with two years of control, then they're probably going for closer to a traditional rebuild, even if it's not a full tank since they, they don't tend to do that. Um, you can argue that it's going to be a bit of a longer process than, you know, a two two year turnaround, and so you would argue that Arias wouldn't have much interest to, which uh, much, much appeal to them at all. I think that's a, a safe argument, but I don't know. I I really like the guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Uh,
0: all right. One quick piece of intermission news. Um. I'm not sure if this was necessarily breaking news or anything. I, I believe it was reported in the last couple of days, but I just happened upon it. Um, The Rockies have named Sterling Monfort, their director of professional scouting. You might recognize the last name. That's (sighs) the son of Dick Monfort. The Rockies' self-inflicted front office dysfunction continues, it seems. Yeah. Yes. Um,
1: You know, obviously we're groaning because there's the big nepotism issue here with the owner's son being promoted. It's not a good look not a good look Rockies. You know, he may be talented, I don't know the guy, but it's not a good look.
0: Yeah, the the owner's son especially given the very valid complaints about said owner in in recent years and the way that the entire front office is operated. It seems like more of the same. Please please prove us wrong, Sterling, but yikes. <laughs> All right. Now we can finally move on to another team that isn't the A's. I mean, I mean the good part about these is that, you know, they're trades. So we talked a lot about the Yankees and the Brewers and the Red Sox and their needs and, and Dodgers and all of that. So that wasn't just the A's talk. I mean, the A's have five of the most attractive players on the market. So we're going to talk about those players and, and the teams that might be interested in them might be fits for them. But let's move on to a few more potential trade chips here.
1: Okay, let's talk about the Reds. Um, So... It, they were another team that has clearly signaled that their cutting salary, their GM, you know, made a statement that basically reflected that point. And then their actions also confirmed that. They traded Tucker Barnhart, who is a veteran catcher, but he's, you know, earning a higher salary. He's under last year of his contracts. They traded him to the Tigers. Uh, they let White, Wade Miley go. Um, and they did not they did not pick up his option. But then, of course, the Cubs did. Um, I still argue that that was a rational move, because according to our model, he did not have any trade value, and that's what they said. They tried to trade him, but no one would take him at his $10 million price tag, which is fair. But now they've saved $10 million. Okay, so now the question is, uh, do they have any more cost-saving moves ahead of them? And given that we keep hearing about them in the rumor market with starting pitchers in particular, Luis Castillo, Sending Gray, maybe Tyler Molly. Um, you'd think maybe they would do move one of those guys because there there's a, still a buyers market for for them i still have a hunch that they're trying to move one of those guys in with an underwater contract the biggest underwater contract is mike Moustakis, who who's really fallen on hard times and yet he still owed a ton of money 30ish million um a eugenio suarez is another player who's coming off a bad year or two and he's also underwater on his fixed contract and shogo akiyama who they signed out of japan a couple years ago is also not performing very well and his contract is underwater i think they're trying to move at least one of one of those three guys you know they would love to move Mustakas. i don't know anybody's going to take him unless they part with a very high value pitcher like castillo would be the only way so you can see a castillo Mustakas. Uh, package going or you could see something like sunny gray and akiyama sort of being paired together my hunch and this is totally my hunch uh, is that it would be something like that because they're trying to move salary you know it's the only way they can move one of those underwater guys by pairing them with with one of those attractive pitchers so i think one of those deals is likely to happen we'll see what we got here
0: yeah all good summary there i think if i can start with a little of my personal opinion i think kill two birds with one stone that by trading gray they can get a pretty good return for him in terms of talent and, and potentially talent that could help the 2022 team uh while also offloading a decent little bit of salary i'm not sure exactly how much they're trying to cut so if they are really trying to slash payroll then yeah they're going to need to package some guys with with moustakas akiyama or suarez whatever to get their payroll where they want it to be but if they're just you know trying to shave a little off the top i think Uh, trading gray keeps their team could keep their team competitive in 2022 because that that division is still winnable um let's start off with a proposal between the mariners and reds this is from user challenger and this isn't necessarily i think this is a little bit too you know video game trade proposal for my liking uh it's more to raise a point here And, and you mentioned way earlier in this episode about prospect values and about you know the conversation about castillo and uh rodriguez julio rodriguez of the mariners and how they're pretty evenly valued and straight up you know mariners fans are are losing their minds they wouldn't trade julio rodriguez straight up for two years of castillo that's crazy you must have the values wrong that kind of thing Uh, but i wanted to raise this proposal to just kind of show how the values line up and and kind of try to prove to to Mariners fans who might still be doubting that they're going to need to give something up if they want to get something. <laughs> and I see a lot of tweets and posts from them about, you know, oh, we're going to add some talent, but we can't give up Julio Rodriguez or Logan Gilbert or um, uh, Noel V. Marte or George Kirby or Emerson Hancock. And so those are their top five prospects and, oh, they're all off limits that's not quite how it's going to go if you want to add some top-end talent. So this deal has the Mariners acquiring Luis Castillo 68.3, Sonny Gray 28.3, and outfielder Jesse Winker 19.1 from the Reds. So that's a total of 115.7 in median trade value. In exchange, they'd be sending the Reds Rodriguez at 66.4, right-handed pitching prospect George Kirby at 46.6, and catcher Tom Murphy at 3.3. So that's 116.3. So these are evenly valued um, but the, the the main observation I had when just scrolling through pages of Mariners trade proposals, be it for Castillo or Gray or Malley or really anyone, is that if Kirby, Rodriguez, Hancock, Marte, or uh, Logan Gilbert, if any of those five guys were included in a trade proposal, it just got a ton of thumbs downs. But the only way you're going to be able to get talent if you're the Mariners is if you give some up. And and they have some players who, you know, in the mid, mid-tier mid prospect range, Zach DeLoach, um, some other names in there that, that could be moved for a lower caliber of player. They could probably put together a decent package for Sonny Gray if they really wanted to. But if they're going to be shopping at the top of the market, it's going to take some of these top guys and, and it's going to be up to the Mariners front office to identify which ones are the most expendable, which ones, you know, the market might value higher than they do. I don't think that is Julio Rodriguez. I think they're pretty set on hanging on to him. And I think that's totally fair. Uh, but if they're going to be involved in the Luis Castillo market, it's going to take one of those big guys. And if they're going to be involved in the Frankie Montas market, it's going to take somebody who's going to hurt or, or Matt Olson, they've There's been some fan speculation there, anything like that. Um, so yeah, th- th- this isn't necessarily a proposal to, to dive too deep into the specifics of. I don't think there's any way the, the Mariners go out and acquire Castillo, Gray, and Winker. I mean, prove me wrong, Jerry, but I don't think that's quite happening. That That's, that's a little rich even for DePoto. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to raise that initial point here uh, since I've seen a lot of discourse about it um, within within the Mariners fan base.
1: Yeah, so my take on that is that, you know, they're an up and coming team. So, and their fans are fairly knowledgeable about that. So they don't want to trade much like DePoto has said, they don't want to trade the top guys in their farm. So they should not be shopping at the top of the market then to your point. And what I think they would rather do is go for a a mid-level or a rental like a Bassett or a Manaya and trade you know a mid-level or two prospect instead like a matt brash or a deloach or what have you and that seems to make sense because you're not giving up the future but you're adding to the present. um the bigger question there is like what's their window is it starting next year is it starting the year after how long is it you know and i think it probably starts in 2022 and goes for a few years in which case you want to time it so that those guys kind of stick you with you as your as your sort of up and coming core and so um so i agree with your point i i but I here's the part that I question. I don't think they should be shopping in the Luis Castillo aisle. You know, because that has to, you know, mean you're going to give up a couple of top guys, right? So, no, they. Go down a peg or two in terms of control if you want to compete in 2022 do a one-off or Manaya and it doesn't cost you as much see what happens and then in 2023 see where you're at maybe do another one off but then keep you've kept your core so i think something like that makes more sense strategically just um on the red side of this trade i think it's a huge haul and, and i i love it you know because they basically are saying okay we're throwing in the towel and they're getting a whole bunch of top prospects back because to me that's that's like amazing um But they're giving up a lot of talent. But if they're saying they don't really want to compete in the next two years, then it makes perfect sense. Um, So that's the way I see this one. I think it's unrealistic because this is a huge blockbuster, and I don't see the the Mariners giving up that much top talent. I think they're going to shop in the middle and lower tiers.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Generally, that big, you know, pushing the top prospect for that superstar piece, generally that trade is kind of like the last put you over the top type, you know, we were contending, our rebuild was successful, we built up enough talent at the big league level so that we're contending, and now we're really going to push for the ring kind of thing. It's and, and earlier, there in you me...
1: go. yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas earlier in the rebuild, you see things more like what the Tigers are doing, where they're spending money on Javier Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez in anticipation of some of their top, top prospects making the big leagues. And then you figure once Spencer Torkelson, Riley Green and and some of their pitchers, once those guys start to click and put it together at the big league level, if they have any valuable prospects remaining in the minors or from recent drafts or anything like that, that's the point where they would look to move them for their last couple positions of need on the roster. So the Mariners are still in that first stage. I think it makes a lot of sense for them to, as you mentioned, you know. Go for a lower cost guy, Mania uh, Bassett. Even even if they want to push up to Gray, so that they get that extra year of control, go for it. But go for that on the trade market, and then you know maybe go sign Trevor Story and play him at third base instead of instead of trading for a Matt Chapman, because all that Story is going to cost you is money, and so. I think that's the stage that they're in. I don't think it's the time. I I agree with you. I don't think it's the time for them to be pushing in these big names and trading for Castillo. I I understand Mariners fans. You're antsy. It's been a couple decades since you've been in a position like this. And this is really the best. The Mariners have looked their best chances of making the playoffs again, since that 2001 team, but patience is going to be patience on both ends of things. It's going to, help in the long run this is a very talented core that is coming through the minors and joining some pretty talented players at the big league level and development is going well and the front office is, is performing well and stars are lining up here but you don't want to potentially mortgage so many years of that future by jumping into things too early and you know pulling a pulling a preller with the padres a few years back
1: yeah exactly I agree with all your points
0: all right now let's talk about some More realistic Reds deals here uh, for Castillo. So next, staying in the AL West, the Angels acquiring Castillo at 68.3, as well as Shogo Akiyama at negative 8.3, so that's 60 flat. In exchange for Reed Detmers at 31.7, left-handed pitching prospect. Outfielder Joe Adele at 14.4, so it looks like this was before your adjustment then. Um, Outfield, or excuse me, left-handed starting pitcher Jose Suarez at 8.7 million and outfielder alexander ramirez at 4.2 million so that's 59 total headed to the reds bump that up a little bit to account for joe adele's adjustment uh, but it's still within the margin of error here as a fair deal between the angels and the reds and this is also from user challenger i wonder if wonder if challenger is a reds fan uh, but i like this a lot more the angels obviously need to make some pitching additions um, this is a pretty high cost because it is kistio they're bringing down the cost just a little bit by taking on akiyama who can be you know a fourth outfield option for them whatever but it still is a pretty hefty cost. It costs them Adele, who, despite his struggles, you know, he's still highly regarded, still plenty of upside, could be a long-term piece for whichever team he ends up on. Reed Detmers, their former first-round pick, who is really, you know, a high-floor type, but looks like he's going to be a very solid starting pitcher for for a number of years. And then Suarez, who was starting to kind of come into his own at the big league level. So it's a very costly deal for them, but it does add a real frontline starting pitcher to pair with um to pair with uh, Shohei Otani and then two of them with Noah Syndergaard however many innings they can expect from him in the three in the third spot in the rotation it just seems like the logical push there to try and you know capitalize on having Trout and Otani under contract and, and Rendon hopefully still in his prime so they are a team that I think makes sense to push in chips where they are right now for Castillo um, I could I could see there being an argument otherwise because they have a pretty shallow farm and you know mortgaging all of it on one player might just further the hold that they're already in but I I think I like this one for them um I sort of like it for the angels but here's
1: okay so. The where I struggle with it is they're giving up Detmers, so it's it's sort of like okay, you're switch, you know, the left hand is getting to the right hand and like okay, maybe because you can you could argue that getting Castillo is is a significant upgrade because he's more of a proven commodity and he's a top of the rotation guy, so now the rotation is would be like Castillo, Atani, and. But then what? <laughs> oh, you know, well, they they signed um, Syndergaard. So, but Syndergaard's going to be a little rusty because he's coming back from TJS. So, um, but having said, having already signed Syndergaard, so already as it is, you've got Otani, desmer detmers as your top three, and then Suarez is sort of a four, and then um, Sandoval is probably a five or swap those guys. So it's actually not that bad of a rotation right now, actually. Uh, I would argue, assuming that. You know that Syndergaard comes around and you start to see his old self, Uh, but maybe you need another one. Maybe you borrow a page from the Dodgers book up the street and say, "Okay, we need another one." But then, if you're going to do that and get a Castillo, you're sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face if you're giving up Detmers and Suarez. So I'm struggling with that part of it. I think they need a shortstop actually more than they need a a starting pitcher now, and I know you know everyone it feels weird to say that because the angels always need starting pitching but they've got a hole at short so like i think that may be at this point their priority um so but on the other hand you could argue it's trout and otani in their prime obviously they need to win a championship when they're in their prime so maybe this puts them over the top with castillo maybe this is one of those chris sale deals where you say let's just go for it push the chips in i'm just wondering if there's different chips So I like it from the Reds' perspective, but I'm just confused about it
0: from the Angels' perspective. I'm a little more, I'm a little pessimistic about what they can really expect from Syndergaard this year. And so if you, if he is only going to get you, you know, 100 innings or something, I I get that that's mitigated being in a six-man rotation with Otani, but I think they could, you don't know if he's, if they, if we are projecting out here and saying, oh, they, they make the playoffs, we don't know if he would even be available to pitch in the playoffs, depending on you know what kind of limits he might have, or or re-injuring, or anything like that. Whereas Castillo gives them a real second piece to comfortably put behind Otani as their first two starters in a in a shorter series. Um, but I but I I also do see what you're saying. Um, they do have more options than I think people give them credit for. I think Patrick Sandoval is still really getting slept on. Yeah, but I think the the piece of it that makes it work for me is that Reed Detmers is is very valuable and he's a very good prospect and I personally really really like him. I was I, I thought that was a great pick for them. I think he fell to like yeah, 10th overall. I think that was a really good pick for them in the draft. But his kind of whole thing has been that he's a pretty sure thing but not necessarily an ace. Doesn't really have that upside quite. He's more of a command guy who's pretty polished, you know, jumped to the big leagues. A year after being drafted, but isn't necessarily going to be a frontline guy down the road, most likely. And he did struggle in in only five starts, but he did struggle in his MLB debut in 2021. So if you are seeing him as more of a, you know, mid-rotation type guy, I think there's an argument there to be made for cashing that into a team that might value that more, whereas you're in the competitive uh point of your of your of your window and really need that like frontline quality that you'll get from Castillo.
1: Yeah, okay. He <laughs> sort of talked me into it.
0: Alright, well, let's see if, if this one's any better. It's it's a very similar one, we don't have to spend too long on it. Uh, this is from John Paul Kalin, and it has the Angels acquiring Castillo at 68.3, as well as outfield prospect Reese Hines at 8.5. In exchange for Detmers at 31.7 and Marsh at 47, uh, excuse me, outfielder Brandon Marsh at 47.3. So 79 headed to the Reds, 76.8 to the Angels. I have a feeling you're going to like this one less <laughs> because, you know, it's an even bigger name being added to Detmers in Marsh. And although there is an outfield log, not not even logjam, although the, the they, Angels have a bit of a surplus of talented young outfielders, you'd argue they need to keep some to command their outfield and marsh is a bit of a safer pick right now to start in 2022 than uh than joe adele might be so i i have a feeling you're not going to like this one quite as much but
1: well i like for the reds um
0: yeah yeah clearly (laughs) yeah
1: uh, but yeah for the angels okay so let's talk about mike Trout a little bit so he's obviously been their center fielder he got hurt last year he's getting older he's probably not going to stick in center field too much longer. So maybe, you know, he's your left fielder now, but then he's bumping Justin Upton, who's still under contract and what do you do with him? You got Marsh, I think is a natural center fielder based on all the evaluators. And so the ideal outfield is, it, what they're hoping for is Trout and left, Marsh and center, Adele and right. Um, and so if you're giving up your future center fielder, now you've got a hole. Now the Angels maybe could, find a center fielder somewhere else but then again you know we found the marlins are looking for a center fielder the yankees are looking for center fielder there's not a whole lot on the market you know mullins reynolds those are going to be very pricey in trade so like yeah there's not much so you don't want to really give up a center fielder necessarily because they're kind of in short supply right now so yeah Uh, (laughs) i don't think it's i think you're giving up more that you need for some players that you don't need as much is what i'm trying to say your need going out is greater than the need coming in
0: yeah i'm with you there i think uh i try to think as little as i can about the prospect of mike trout moving off of center field because as soon as he does his war totals are going to reflect that change and he's no longer and i mean the injuries this these past couple years have done it themselves but he's no longer going to be on quite a historical pace as he used to be which is very very disappointing to me but i will admit that it is something that is likely to happen within the next couple of years and marsh is the most likely candidate to replace that um so yeah i don't this one seems like it's just too steep for them um and, and i agree great return for the reds but i don't think it's i don't think this one's as realistic for them for the uh, angels i did want to bring up one point uh to what you said about the prior trade about you know, their rotation might be okay, they should target a shortstop. The shortstop trade market isn't too deep right now. I, I'm not I'm not thinking of any names that are really right at the forefront that would uh, come in and be an immediate upgrade, as well as, you know, costing decent uh, prospect capital to the point where you want to, you know, save your resources for that. I think if they wanted a shortstop, they should really be spending for one, if that's Trevor Story or, or whomever, Correa even. But Uh, unless i'm missing something i I can't think off the top of my head at least of any real shortstop trade targets
1: uh yeah i'm with you on that and the yankees are in the same boat um Mm -hmm. you know and there's there might be a couple others but yeah you'd have to kind of pry one away um to really yeah um no that's a fair point you know and you know they could always just re-sign another iglesias um or an andrelton simmons who they've had before they didn't quite get there it was just sort of a warm seat placeholder kind of guy so i get the feeling that oh, don't want to do that again but to your point what whatever there are so i think they're a good fit for story actually uh, i really do like that idea i think correa may be a little too much for their pocketbook considering they have so many big contracts already with trout with rundown they're going to want to extend Otani, I assume. So I got to save him dough for that. So story maybe not quite as expensive. Maybe coming off a, a disappointing year may not have as much of a demand for longer-term years. So maybe that's more manageable. And he seems like the kind of guy that would fit for the Angels because he's got that sort of bulldog mentality to kind of help them get over the hump. You know, back when the Rockies were competitive, he was in the playoffs a bit. So I think that would appeal to them. He seems like a good clubhouse guy. So I... I I've talked myself into yeah, you're shining Trevor story.
0: Okay, great. <laughs> Solve that problem. <laughs> yeah, always always easy to spend someone else's money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so that's all I have on Castillo proposals for now. I get uh, I want to see if you agree here. I get kind of the sense that it might just not be the time to trade Luis Castillo unless they are looking to package him to to lower to decrease his value by packaging him with mike moustakis um i'm not sure otherwise it makes a whole lot of sense to do it right now because the cost is going to be really steep for other teams to the point where they might not want to pay it and you know the the incentive for for the reds is to get out for money but castillo wasn't owed that much i wonder if they might be better off uh waiting unless they unless they are really actively looking to shop him with Mustakis, which there's been kind of conflicting reports about um, i wonder if they might be better off waiting until either likely the deadline if not next season or next deadline when you know the motivation for a team to acquire him might be higher to the point where they will push in that last big chip but i, I wonder if he might be more of a deadline guy maybe it's
1: a fair point but it, the counter to that would be what are your other options if you're still looking for starting pitching help at this point The market's kind of been picked over and you know carlos radon's clinton kershaw uh both have pretty serious injury question marks uh radon wasn't even offered a qo by the white sox who know him best because they were so concerned about his shoulder presumably so you know there's not much left to pick from and then you're down to the tyler anderson kind of guys you know so innings eaters so if you're looking for starting pitching help on the free agent market You know it's it's slim pickets so that gives him more it gives the reds more leverage if you want a top of the rotation guy he's he's your man um so i could see it going that way
0: yeah very fair all right so now we're going to shift to sunny gray uh this first one we're going back to the twins we talked at length about the rotation issues they have and this is once again from DeJuba. he's really killing it lately (laughs) um so twins would acquire sunny gray at 28.3 the Reds would acquire Austin Martin at 30.8. It's a straight one for one. And those are always just super interesting for me. And the way that DeJuba explained it in the comments was this trade would mean that at the deadline last year, the Twins essentially traded Jose Barrios, a year and a half of him, for Simeon Woods Richardson, and then down the line, two years of Gray. And so I think that's really fascinating to me. Uh, we talked kind of about how crowded the Twins are on the position player side. And so maybe. Martin is a guy they would look to flip again. You could also argue they just traded. They just traded for him. They want to hang on to him. They believe in him. Um, I could see it either way, but this is really interesting to me. I I I like this fit a lot on both ends.
1: Yeah, I think the question marks around Austin Martin are kind of the key to this deal because you know he was a top draft pick. He, he was a shortstop in college, but nobody at this point thinks he's going to stick there so what is he is he second base third base center field left and like like we're not sure where his position is um and further he doesn't have a lot of power so he seems to like a like a high contact high average kind of hitter which is always of course valuable but everyone loves power so I think those concerns have knocked his trade value down a little bit as you might have noticed um but the twins have a glut of those kinds of guys they can't find a place to play Arias and we've talked about Polanco and you know assuming they move they stick they stick with him at second so I don't know where Martin's gonna fit and they've got outfielders like Larnock and 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 Kepler and so like okay maybe Austin Martin they traded for him from a value perspective but They figured they'd kick the can down the road, figure out where they're going to play him later, and now we're at the road, and where is he going to play? So you could sort of say, okay, maybe we don't need him. Let's flip him. Uh, The Reds, I think, could find a place to play. Yeah. Um, And now they've probably, they like uh, India at second. Okay, so maybe Austin Martin's an outfielder. For the reds and you can see okay you can find a spot for him uh senzel still doesn't seem to have a home either but he hasn't really established himself at all so they can find a place so i can kind of sort of talk myself into it um but yeah the thing that really kind of makes me feel weird is why did they just trade barrios a guy with limited control and then get another guy like gray with limited control unless they really do want to contend in which case okay i guess it makes sense now that they're in this circumstance if in fact that's their strategy i can see it working
0: I think our values can answer that question for us because the Jose Barrios trade we had is a pretty considerable overpay by the Blue Jays. I think you could argue, yeah, 2021 didn't go the way the Twins wanted to, and maybe they weren't, uh, maybe they weren't determined to trade Barrios at the deadline, but when they saw how high the price could be and that they could get more than really they, they might have expected to, they said, well, this is too good of a deal to turn down. We can figure it out later. Um, I, I think that's a pretty fair argument and, yeah. and also they didn't necessarily expect Maeda's injury and uh, I believe that was in the second half that he suffered that injury uh, so after the deadline and so they expected to have him back to kind of front the rotation next year so um, let's uh, I, I would also like to <laughs> point out that Austin Martin strangely reminds me a lot of Nick Senzel and you can look at that two ways you can say Nick Senzel hasn't quite worked out for the Reds and so why would they want to try on another guy pretty similar Or you could argue that a lot of the reason that Nick Senzel hasn't worked out is just injuries. And Austin Martin has not shown himself to be injury injury prone at this stage in his career. So maybe they want a second chance on what Senzel could have been like if he had stayed healthy. So I I could look at that one either way.
1: Yeah, you're right. They were both top five draft picks. They both don't seem to have a position. <laughs> they mm-hmm. both are sort of more high-contact guys than power guys. Yeah, because they both have some speed, but not quite. An, they're sort of tweener types, you know. so
0: yeah, I could see it. <laughs> um, I know we talked for some time about the Rangers in the last episode, but I just wanted to briefly touch on them again here. Um, I was looking for a proposal with them, with uh, Sonny Gray, that I liked, and realized that I didn't like any of them, and that was mostly because. I don't like him as a fit there. I don't like him as a fit there. I don't like Montas or Bassett or Castillo or Maile or even, or Mania. I don't like any of these shorter term fits for them. And we've discussed that in the past. Um, but but Gray specifically, I've, I've seen some tweets about him. And, and I had one conversation on Twitter about the Rangers potentially acquiring Gray. And it's, he's already 31. And we don't necessarily expect the Rangers to be incredibly competitive in 2022. So then you're looking at, okay, how about his age 32 season in 2023? And even if – I think there's even question marks if they'll be entirely competitive by then. Um, they they really feels like they jumped the gun with, you know, all of their flurry of moves that they made before the lockout with getting Seager and Semien and, and a couple other pieces. Um, so I don't know – I don't know what I would do with if I were them. I think they should be looking more toward either the Marlins young arms or John Means or some of these other guys with more years of team control left. I don't like them personally as a fit for Sonny Gray, especially, but really any of these shorter term options. Um, We've discussed that in the past. This is nothing new, but I just wanted to kind of mention that there in case anyone was curious as to why they haven't been brought up in really any of these discussions.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think they jumped the market knowing that they probably wouldn't really be competitive in 22 i think they'll take what they can get if they can they want to improve obviously but they're really targeting 2023 and and, and beyond so a short-term guy like Sonny Gray, they've already got John Gray, by the way. So imagine the confusion, Gray and Gray. It's like, who's pitching it? Oh, wonderful. So, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, I am with you on that. Um, I think they need a longer-term control guy. So, But they do, as we've talked about others, they do need to consolidate. They've got so many middle-in-field prospects that they need to move. So those guys got to surely be involved in some sort of trade package for somebody. I'm just not sure this is the guy.
0: Mm-hmm. And then speaking of gray and, and we discussed the mariners for a while earlier this one's from wrong verb it has the mariners acquiring gray at 28.3 in exchange for outfielder kyle lewis at 23.5 and starting pitcher justin dunn at 4.9 so 28.4 headed to the reds i think this makes way more sense for the mariners than any deal with castillo or even melee uh, with just how much higher value they have i mean you could still argue that it's it's more than they should be giving up because You know, like we talked about earlier, maybe a one-year deal, a one-year rental option for cheaper might be a smarter move for them at at this point in the rebuild, but I think this one is perfectly defensible. I mean, Kyle Lewis is a, I wouldn't call him the odd man out, but they have four outfielders that they really like, at least four outfielders that they really like in Seattle, and that's Jared Kelnick, who obviously struggled a lot in 2021, but is still very highly regarded, Julio Rodriguez, who hasn't debuted yet, and is also very, very highly regarded. Mitch Haniger, who they love and who was really good in 2022, but he's older, more expensive, getting closer to free agency. And then Kyle Lewis, who was really strong in 2020, injured and took a step back in 2021. And it, it makes sense that they could look to deal from one of those four guys, and I don't think it's gonna be Kelnick or Rodriguez. So, I mean, I, I could see this, and Justin Dunn has fallen a little bit out of favor with them as well. Um, He was part of the return in the big Cano-Edwin Diaz deal, and he really hasn't sorted it out at the big league level, but I could see the Reds maybe taking a chance there, and and they've had some success converting failed starting pitching prospects into wipeout relievers, so maybe they take that route with him as well. Um, And and they obviously need some outfield help, so I mean Lewis could slot directly in a center field for them if if they wanted him to. So I like this a lot more (laughs) than any— I I still don't think it's quite perfect— because that's a big risk you're taking if you're the Mariners by moving Lewis and banking on both Rodriguez and Kelnick working out and also being able to work something out with Hanniger or find some other outfielder down the road. Um, so uh, there's obviously some big risk there. They don't need to move an outfielder right now. But this is far and away better than <laughs> for them, I think, than any of those Castillo-type uh, proposals.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think this one is realistic i think it makes sense for both sides you know because gray is not let's be honest he's not an ace he's not a total frontline starter he's like a three and so you're not expecting the world for him um but you might be pleased with a guy with upside like lewis you know who if, you know if he stays healthy could really be a, a nice ad for you but you also have to be realistic because the reason his value is down is because he's always injured as we know and so you can imagine you know if they had lewis and Senzel trying to <laughs> trying to share time instead of which one's going to stay healthy, you know, cause they've both had similar issues. So, um, yeah, at this point, you know, I, mean, I think he's the most expendable cause you don't, you know, I don't think they're moving Rodriguez or, or, uh, Kelinek and Hanneker. you know, is fan favorite and last year control. So I think if anything, I want to extend him to kind of anchor that team as kind of the veteran presence. So, you know if they want to compete in 2022 they're not moving him so yeah he's the odd man out dustin i mean justin dunn's the odd man out as well because he hasn't really shown all that much he's had little flashes here and there where they think oh he's gonna be good but then he doesn't or he gets injured so he's probably a bullpen guy but to your point the reds like guys like that, that they can turn into good bullpen guys so i actually like this one from both sides
0: yeah me too all right so i know we are well over on time here um but i still have a few that i think are really really interesting and i want to get to so i, I want to kind of rapid fire some of these so we've made it through you know a's and reds those were the two big sellers we wanted to hit on this time and, and throughout those conversations we talked about a lot, a lot of teams that are either on the fence or could be buyers you know cleveland minnesota uh, the yankees all of that and now i, I just want to touch on a couple more uh the red Sox, white Sox and raise and so i just have a couple deals that involve each of these teams some of them involve both teams whatever and i just i don't want to spend too long on any of these none of these are super complicated too many moving pieces um well you could argue a couple of them are (laughs) but uh, they're they're a little bit quicker to digest and i i want to give the values give my take and get your quick take and then move on to the next one so we can wrap this thing up does that sound good all right, first one, Red Sox and Mets. This is from user Sox Addict and this is probably the wildest of, of these 5 that we're going to get to, the, the least realistic. Has the Mets acquiring left-handed pitcher Chris Sale who we have at 11.9 million in median trade value in exchange for second baseman Robinson Cano headed to the Red Sox -37.6. Uh, infielder Brett Beatty at 39 million and 10.5 million in cash to help offset uh, the salary. So, in a nutshell, here what's happening is the Red Sox are taking on the salary dump in Cano. I don't think they'd really anticipate him playing for them too much. I mean, maybe first base. I don't know. DH is when JD Martinez leaves, something like that. But really, what they're doing is you know what heimbloom Bloom has never been afraid to do, and that's buying a really talented prospect in Brett Beatty. Who could either be their long-term answer at first base or could replace rafael devers if they don't sort out an extension whatever and in the meantime they're also you know offsetting the the canoe salary by getting out from sales contract and now we have sale at positive value so it's not necessarily an underwater contract and you could i think you can make a very very reasonable argument that the red sox don't have any pitching they probably shouldn't be trading their only really reliable starting pitcher right now but there's also a question mark on calling him too reliable he's just coming off of a major injury don't know how many innings to expect from him in 2022 and he is very expensive so that's just i i don't necessarily endorse this trade i don't think it's super realistic and i don't think it makes the most sense in the world for the red Sox. but i think it is fun to think about and and the values line up so Uh, what's your yeah i don't see them getting trading chris
1: sale at all i think they need him because they're in win win now mode so i this one loses me right there um but i do like the point of taking on an underwater contract to get a prospect because bloom's obviously been doing that he did that with the out trade with the yankees he did that with the uh a renfro jbj trade just before the lockout he got a couple prospects by taking on jbj's contract so you know he's he's smart enough guy that he knows how to do that and well he's sort of you know playing both sides of it where he's like making his major league team better because he's got money to work with he's also buying prospects so i can see that i can see him taking a canoe but i'm just not the sale part of just throws me here i can't i can't see him doing that at all
0: yeah uh, i'm I'm with you. That's the biggest holdup, but I could see it being attractive for a Mets fan as well. Mm-hmm. Having DeGrom <laughs> to, to Scherzer's sale at the front of your rotation would be something else for them, but I, I'm not sure. They <laughs> That's can a swing. little much. They can quite swing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then one more Red Sox deal. This one has them acquiring Craig Kimbrell from the White Sox. We have him at $0.6 million, as well as $4 million cash in exchange for Josh Winchowski, right-handed pitching prospect who's been on the move as of late (laughs) for 4.8 million uh this i mean we talked about the pitching needs of the red Sox and the uncertainty in their bullpen and given the second half that kimbrell just had i don't know necessarily how much certainty he adds to the bullpen but he brings another like real high upside arm to that staff they obviously know kimbrell he was very successful with them and and i could see them wanting a reunion i mean winchowski's stock has been rising and Kimbrel is very expensive so you could quibble a lot there but i think i'm more bringing this up for the general fit of Kimbrel back to the red sox which i hadn't thought of before but i i think i like it
1: well we had hater going to the red sox in an earlier proposal or two um so if the argument is they could use a closer and i think they could because You know, Matt Barnes didn't quite succeed as a closer. He's more of a setup guy. I think they do need a closer. And, you know, obviously Kimbrell has been up and down and up and down in terms of his performance. So hopefully they get the best out of him. Giving up Winkowski is is not that big a deal. He's not like a super high value guy. He was a Rule Five guy that's found another pitch, and so now he's more attractive. But he's still kind of a lower level prospect. So let's be honest, he's probably not he's not like a future ace. He's probably a back end starter, and the White Sox need a back end starter. Uh, they've got a hole in their rotation with Rodon. Dallas Keuchel's been kind of disappointing. So you know, now we may be jumping the gun to think he would be you know at the level and ready to step into rotation, but you know maybe for a longer term piece it makes sense they don't seem to be invested in Kimbrel at all they want to trade him so it's a decent piece to get back so i i i can see for both sides
0: i like the red Sox as a Kimbrel fit primarily because of the salary implications anyway and they're already projecting to be over the luxury tax and not a whole lot they can do to try and get under it and kind of the mentality could be, you know, if you're already going to be over the tax, why not go over the tax a little bit more? And I know there's there's additional, there's levels to the tax. And this is obviously assuming that it remains the same. Uh, this could be completely overhauled in the new CBA that they're trying to work out right now. But if it were to remain the same as it was, I know there's levels in it where there's harsher penalties the more you go over. But there's they have some space before they hit those. They They should be comfortable with their money. They're not trying to stay over. A harsh limit and needing to cut costs, so they can they can take a chance on an expensive player like Kimbrel. All right, sticking with the White Sox and sticking with Kimbrel, how about trading into the Mets? So we have Kimbrel at $0. 0.6, as well as six million dollars cash, outfielder uh Yoelki Ces, is it Yoelki? Yes, Yoelki yes. Cespedes at 6.9 million in median trade value, and right hand pitcher Bobby dalkist at 2.3 million all headed to the Mets. That's 15.8 million total in exchange for Jeff McNeil headed to the White Sox at 15.1. Uh, the White Sox have a clear need at second base, and McNeil is kind of on the outs uh, with in New York. We talked about that in the last episode. Also, it's Andrew Dalquist, not Bobby Dahlquist, my bad. Uh, but basically, Cohen here is literally buying a couple of solid prospects in Dahlquist and Cespedes by taking on the Kimbrell, Uh, contract and giving up, you know, a a superfluous player for their team. So I'm not entirely sure that the White Sox would be this motivated to get out from Kimbrell, nor am I sure that they'd be that motivated to get McNeil rather than a cheaper option that might be available, but the needs line up pretty well.
1: Yeah, I sort of like this because you know Kimbrell's on the outs, McNeil's on the outs, so it's sort of like okay, <laughs> you know, take 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 the guy we we're sort of wanting to trade anyway. Okay, you take that one. Um, yeah, but it's a fit for both sides. Um, now you could argue that the Mets don't really need a closer, Edwin Diaz. For all the you know eh, eh, trouble he's gotten from fans, he's been very very good, and reasonably consistent if you look at his numbers. But I could see it, you know. Um, you know the white Sox have a terrible farm at this point you could say eh, what's two mid-level prospects okay and mcneil i think you know he definitely needs a change of scenery and it could see i could see him being a better fit in uh, in chicago for the second base role so yeah, i kind of like this one
0: i think the one point uh, that, that you brought up that i hadn't thought of there is the closer situation because normally you know you don't really think too much about it you think oh this team can go get this guy and and whatever it's 2022 we don't care as much about the defined closers role uh, you can have multiple lockdown relief arms and they can kind of share the load play matchups whatever but Kimbrel has been very vocal about kind of blaming some of his second half 2021 failures on being in the eighth inning seventh eighth inning and not being as comfortable there and and you can interpret that how you want i mean you can be a cynic and say, oh, he's he's just kind of trying to cover for what was a bad couple months of pitching and use some excuse that it will also make him more attractive to another team. Um, or you can take him seriously. He's been a closer his whole career. And maybe for a guy like that, his he personally and his mentality will succeed better in that role. I don't know exactly how to quantify that or how much to believe that. But if you do believe in that, then you could see a bit of a, a tricky situation with him headed to the Mets. And I think Diaz is probably a better pitcher right now uh, d- depending on again depending on how much of those struggles in 2021 were actual skill related or, or how many of them will will carry over into 2022 for Kimbrel, you could argue that Diaz is better right now and maybe should be more of that you know lockdown option but that you need to give Kimbrel the ninth to get him back on track so I could see that being a bit of a hurdle all right one more White Sox trade this one is one for one this one's actually featured one of our featured trades right now on the site submitted by Mitch 22 It has the White Sox adding Ryan Yarbrough at four and a half million left-handed starting pitcher from the Rays in exchange for infielder Jake Berger at also at 4.5 million. So yeah, 4.5 million. So straight up one for one. Uh, The Rays have a pretty crowded pitching staff as always. And Yarbrough has been pretty successful as one of their bulk guys. You know, sometimes he's following an opener. Sometimes he's making the starts himself, whatever. Uh, but as you mentioned, the White Sox have a lot of openings in that starting rotation, could really use some reliable innings, and he'd be a good source of that. Meanwhile, the Rays are good at identifying and adding versatile offensive talent and finding a way to to use it to the best of its ability. And Berger is a decent candidate for that. He's got all six years of team control remaining. He's a decent prospect. He's, he's probably not going to do anything too crazy, but he's a nice, a nice depth piece for them to add and it saves them a little bit of money getting out of Yarbrough who's in arbitration right now so you you selected this trade to be featured on the site so I think that means you might like it let me know what you think
1: yeah I do obviously um I think the Rays are looking to trade Yarbrough while he always a little bit of value because it just is their thing it's their mo and so he'll he'll eat some meetings in Chicago and I think you know he's a he's, He's a perfectly decent four or five starter for them, and which they need, as I mentioned. And Berger just seems like the kind of guy the Rays would target as kind of a next okay next man up kind of first base third base type with some power, and uh, and they like that. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he'll stick at third, but he could probably play first. And they're always looking for a kind of a bat like that, and he has a little bit of pedigree. I think it was a fairly high draft pick back in the day. So, you know, I think they like that sort of angle as well. Um, So, and the values match up pretty nicely. So I think it works for both.
0: All right, last trade here. We're sticking with the Rays. This one is from user TrevHip12, and it has the Rays acquiring Max Kepler, outfielder at 23.6 million in median trade value from the Minnesota Twins, in exchange for outfielder Manuel Margot at 3.5, and right-handed pitcher Luis Patino at 20.1. So I I wanted to bring this up because Kepler is, moving Kepler is the easiest solution uh, to solve kind of the Twins' offensive logjam. Right now their outfield is Buxton, who they just locked up, and they want some center field insurance for Buxton, but uh, it's him. They have Alex Kiriloff and Trevor Larnack, who are both made their debuts in 2021, and they're both looking like long-term pieces. They have Luis Arias, who spends some time in left field. They have Kepler, who spends some time in, most of his time in right field, but also can cover for Buxton in center. They have Kyle Garlick and Brent Rooker, who are more of right-handed bench, you know, pinch-hit platoon types. But it's, it's a very crowded offensive situation. And most of that's in the outfield, so it makes sense for them to look to move Kepler, who's also making a little bit of money. I don't see the fit with the Rays quite as well because he is making money and they are already looking at potentially shopping Kevin Kiermaier around because of the money that's owed to him. So you wonder if it really makes sense to trade Kiermaier and then acquire Kepler. And then on the Twins, do they really want Manuel Margot? I know he's going to be, you know, center field insurance for Buxton, but that's just another spot on the roster that they have to clog up. So I don't love this one as a perfect as a perfect fit for either team, but it also wouldn't put It wouldn't surprise me too much for the Rays to do something that I considered weird at the time and then six months later for it to have completely worked out in their favor. So (laughs) I could see that end of it and, and I could see Patino being an attractive addition for the Twins with all the pitching that they need
1: yeah i just i get stuck on this one from the Rays' perspective because i think they really like josh lowe as kind of their future center fielder so i think plan a for them is to trade Meyer for whatever they can get for him given his contract and then lowe starts to take over and maybe you give margot some slots but he's also proven that he can handle right as well so i think i think it's the Rays' plan and i think that's what they're going to achieve somehow so i don't like Kepler to the Rays at all um and i, I also think the Rays still like patino and i know he struggled a little bit uh, but i think they've established themselves as really good at developing pitching so i think he's still a work in progress that they do have hopes that they can turn him into a really good starter that's why they traded for him as the lead piece in the snell trade Um, but just to touch on kepler for a moment i do think he makes sense for the other types of teams who are looking for center fielder how i'm thinking the marlins i'm thinking maybe even the yankees um you know, um, because they don't trust giving the, the job to Aaron Hicks, given how he's injured and kind of in decline. So, um, you know, I think he makes sense, maybe even the Giants. But I think I could see Kepler being moved to a team like that that needs a more steady hand at center field. Uh, but I don't see the Rays as a fit for him.
0: Yep, I'm with you there, um, and I I think Kepler is really interesting for the Yankees. Um, he, it's a pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty affordable contract and he's got some defensive versatility in the outfield, left handed bat. Um, I, I think that's a much more natural fit than the Rays, but like I said, I, I wouldn't put anything past them over in Tampa Bay. They they always surprise us. All right, we made it. I know that was a lot. (laughs) I know that was longer than we expected to go. My apologies on that. I think I I went a little bit too slow near the beginning there and and realized at the end, shoot, I have too many of these proposals that I like. And and that's just a testament to how good our users are at making interesting outside of the box trade proposals. So kudos to all of you guys. Uh, But yeah, that was a lot. We'll definitely, I, I think we both like this show format. Obviously not as an every week kind of thing, but uh, we both enjoyed doing it these last couple weeks and, and wouldn't be too surprised to see us doing it again. But uh, yeah, that's, that's all I have on my end on those. Do you have uh, <laughs> anything else to add at the end of a uh, long session of recording? No, just please baseball. get, get your act together and start talking
1: to each other so we can get this lockout over. We can get some actual trades happening. That's what I want.
0: Yes, please. This is fun, but <laughs> it's already starting to get a little old this whole, you know, Oh look, this guy signed in Japan. Oh look, a minor <laughs> league deal. Oh look. I know every team's bench coach now because that's the only news that that has been breaking. We we want real news. Please yeah. get to work MLB and, and players association. Let's let's figure this thing out before it delays the season. Yep. All right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Baseball Values. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the off season. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.